Hello, I'm Dan. And I'm Simon. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article and we talk about what we find. Simon, what are we talking about this week? This week, Daniel, we're talking about Father Christmas. No way. I know, what are the odds? What are the odds? That's insane. Uh, I could probably tell you the odds, actually. How many articles are there on English Wikipedia? <laughs> That's a genuine question. Uh, I, I don't know. The, do you want to guess? Guess how many articles there are on Wikipedia? Um, in English. Oh God, I don't know. Like a trillion? Okay, okay you're, you're a little bit of... A trillion articles. <laughs> yeah, well, there's lots of things. That's so many. <laughs> um, no, it's about okay, six um, and a half million articles. Six and a half million? That's it? Uh, I mean, that's still, what do you think about, apparently there are 644 words per article on average. Um, that seems like, like a very, very small number. I don't know, I think that's a pretty big number. I thought it would be like hundreds of millions at least. I mean, I don't know. I, I, having that episode chat with um, Annie from Depths of Wikipedia sort of made me realise that actually, like, it's not the simplest thing to get a Wikipedia article. Like, there are actually some criteria that you have to meet. And, sure. I, you know, I suppose that really narrows the field down. It's not that you can have a... We're not Walt Whitman. We're not going to have a, a, a wiki about every single blade of grass. No, but sort of facts and actual things as opposed to some something that justifies having a page by virtue of, like, public interest, popularity or something. I mean, mm. there's, a lots of, there's lots of things that should just have a page by virtue of existing. Yes, I suppose. And I thought that number would be larger than... What was it? Six million? Six and a half million. So we could say that the the, the odds of us randomising onto Father Christmas are about one in six and a half million. Wow. Which And interestingly, there are six and a half million variations of Snowflake, famously. <laughs> According to Twitter. So we've got a nice sort of, yeah, we've got a nice sort of Christmas circle there. Well, it's a Christmas miracle. Isn't it? This is an... an we should, I, I realise that this is the classic thing that podcasters do, but we sort of accidentally went through a bit of a stretch where we hadn't recorded an episode for a while. I'm not actually quite sure how. I think it was just lots of things on top of each other. We were both just quite busy. Mm. I was travelling quite a lot. And then uh, the recent thing that happened that took up all of my spare time was the Jingle Jam. Yes, of course. Uh, which has just finished as of the, at the time of recording. Yeah. So yeah, we both had a lot on, so I do apologise, but we've come back with a Christmas special. I'm, I'm recording it whilst I'm quite ill, uh, but this is the last chance that we have to get something in the can. So we're, you know, we're here for you. We're here providing an hour of non-tent for your Christmassy ears. Festive non-tent for all of you lovely readers. Have you put your, your tree up yet, Dan? Well, this is the first year where I haven't put a tree up. Because what? I'm going to, I've been sort of dashing around, prancing around through December, like a, well, yes, always, um, <laughs> like a bit of a madman. And then I'm, I'm meant to be leaving for London on the 19th. And I sort of mm. just started thinking, well, actually, it's quite a bit to do. I had some stuff going on with the house and it would have been a bit of a pain. And for the places that I'll be going from the 19th until New Year, I imagine I'm going to encounter plenty of Christmas trees, mm. so I don't need to put my own up, you know? Yeah, that's fair. It does feel a bit odd. I love putting the tree up and decorating it and, you know, mulled wine and music, and that's great. But I haven't, I just haven't had time this year, which is a bit sad, but... What about you? Have you put yours up? Yeah, well, we had quite an early start to Christmas. So we have um, our friendship group from uh, people that I've been to school with, basically. We like to have a kind of Christmas meal as a group every year. And one of us was expecting a baby and, in fact, has just become parents uh, the other day. And so we moved the meal up. It was on the, I think, the 2nd of December. Um, mm. So so really early to have a Christmas meal. But it meant that we were like, well, we're hosting here. So well, let's put the mm. tree up. Let's put some decorations up and um it just meant yeah the christmas season started way earlier than normal Gosh. like when i was a kid we always used to put the tree up on the last day of school that was like the threshold event yeah um which was what i don't know the 20th of december or something like quite quite close to christmas in retrospect mm. but yeah so, so ours has been up i've been listening to christmasy music quite a lot um i've got my actually good classical christmas music playlist uh, that i've been <laughs> listening to a whole bunch Very good. um and uh, you've been doing, of course, some Christmassy singing. Yeah, quite a lot of Christmassy singing, actually. Wait, it's the sea. It's the sea. Arguably peak season for a choral singer. Yes, it's very, very busy. You always sort of attract the response of people, sort of saying, "Oh, great! So, what are your plans for Christmas?" Yeah, I'm finishing my my. You know, I'm I'm, I'm taking holiday from work on the I don't know fifteenth, and then I'm you know then I'm free until New Year. Can't wait. Blah blah blah. And then you've mm. got sort of sacred church musician musicians just sort of like 
sitting back quietly listening to this conversation <laughs> being like mm-hmm, yeah cool i've got midnight mass on the 24th but yeah that's great and about four messiahs eight lessons nine lessons and carol services <laughs> yeah i mean it's just it's a very very frantic busy time of year for church music but also a really lovely one you know yeah i've got in fact immediately after this podcast i need to race off to buckfast to go and sing at a at a carol service are you are you sick of it yet Gen- genuine question are you sick of it i'm sick of some things if I have to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing one more time, <laughs> I'll blow my top, I think. But, you know. I was fully expecting you to be, like, um, something by Rutter. I don't know, what's the fam- What's a famous Rutter piece that everyone gets sick of? Shepherd's quick? Pipe Carol. Oh, the, the, and I mean this in the traditional sense, the gayest of all carols. Like, it is, it's just so light and breezy. It, it really is. I mean, we were talking about Rutter the other day and sort of saying how... You know, like for the, I mean, for the most part, he is an utterly phenomenal composer and writes some incredible stuff. And as far as sort of writing for voices, and I think I'm, and I think I'm going to wow myself here by remembering the word. I believe it's called parsimonious, Ooh. which is when you're writing with sort of voice leading in mind for choral music such that the melodic line of an individual voice part doesn't move too much. You know, it's very sort of ergonomic in that sense. Right. Because the, ca- the, count- the classic counterexample would be like an alto line that's just spotting all over the place to fill in the gap in the chord. Yeah, sure. Or or trying to do something by like, I don't know, Poulonk, you know, mm. which I'm also having to do because we've got some music on. I'm singing Eucharist on Sunday morning. But that should be quite jolly. But yeah, I think for the you know for the most part, no, I don't really get sick of stuff. I mean, I've I've done quite a few shepherds pipe carols so far mm. this Christmas, and and that does great ever so slightly. But to be honest, it's more the congregational carols because you always get to the end of a service, yeah, and they save some of the big carols to the end, and just hearing the organ strike up, "Oh come, were you faithful?" or "Heart the Herald Angels Sing," and know you've got to sort of scream through three or four verses of this before you can have a mulled wine and go to the pub. Yeah, yeah, it does get a bit. It's just like because oh. <laughs> it's just unrelenting. I mean, if you're a member of the congregation, you're coming and then that's your service done. That's quite nice. Yeah, because you might not be singing it at any other point, but when you're a choral singer and you, you know you're probably going to be singing it at least thirty times <laughs> over the season, um, it gets yeah, it gets a bit much. And they are they are some big sings. I feel like that's something that is overlooked, as you say, when it's just the one time in the year that people will sing that carol but if you are mm. doing it 10 20 times it's it's a, it's a bloody lot <laughs> yeah absolutely but anyway we're, we're here to talk about father christmas down of course and i mean what what, what can you say what can you say about uh, old saint nick or well, actually there is a there is a difference isn't there there is actually a, a, like they blur at santa santa claus father christmas saint nicholas sinterklaas and you know you know generic general other nationalities versions but they are actually distinct things i suppose absolutely i mean certainly the saint nicholas is entirely distinct and and in fact at my my final concert with the Chagford Singers, mm. which was on the 11th of December, which went very very well. I'm very pleased and proud of them, yeah. and I will miss them terribly because that was I'm 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 sort of stepping down as director. We did the Haydn Missa Sancti Nicolai, the Mass of Saint Nicholas. Oh yeah, because you know it's Christmas in it. See what yeah. we did there. Very clever. <laughs> he was. As we probably all know, Simon, an early Christian bishop of Greek descent. Uh, y- yes. <laughs> from the maritime city of Myra in Asia Minor. He was also known as Nicholas the Wonder Worker, which I think is a better title. Why don't we call him that? <laughs> Nicholas the, jolly, the Wonder Worker. Jolly Nicholas the Wonder Worker. It sounds oh, yeah, like brilliant. something in Civ. Like it allows you to rush the pyramids or something. Yeah. St. Nicholas is the patron saint of sailors, merchants, archers, repentant thieves, children, brewers, pawnbrokers, unmarried people and students in various cities across uh, and countries across Europe. Whereas Father Christmas is the traditional English name for the personification of Christmas. So there is a there is a slight technical difference. Although now known as a Christmas gift bringer, he was originally part of a much older and unrelated English folkloric tradition with the modern figure developing in the late Victorian period. Mm. Um, I have to admit, I didn't know that. At some point, can we please talk about Sinterklaas? 
Yes. Well, well, Sinterklaas, I, I ended up doing a tiny bit of research for Sinterklaas for the universally, sorry, the university challenge quiz that I wrote because he was the answer to one of the questions. That whole, I'm sure we'll talk about that process a, little, a bit, actually, because that was an interesting experience. Mm. But I was going to say, just to fill in a bit more detail from the Father Christmas wiki, English personifications of Christmas were first recorded in the 15th century, with Father Christmas himself first appearing in the mid-17th century in the aftermath of the English Civil War. The Puritan, I'm sure this is more widely known, uh, the Puritan-controlled English government had legislated to abolish Christmas, considering it papist, and outlawed its traditional customs. So this was, oh gosh, I think it was, when was Charles the first executed? It was like 1652 or something like that? Sounds convincing. When was the, the Commonwealth? It was approximately then. 1649? That, oh, I could believe it. I'd buy that for a dollar. Uh, what well, it is the Commonwealth, isn't it? The, uh, that name for that period of history, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, Commonwealth of England, sixteen forty nine to sixteen sixty. So there was there was this ten, uh, sorry, what eleven year period where Christmas you could not celebrate Christmas in the UK because of it was it was too papist, it was too Catholic. Mm. However, royalist political pamphleteers linking the old traditions with their cause adopted Father Christmas as the symbol of the good old days of feasting and good cheer. Following the restoration uh, in 1660, Father Christmas's profile declined and his character was maintained during the 18th and 19th century by the Christmas folk plays later known as Mummers Plays. Which is interesting. I didn't know that. I've been to a Mummers Play, have you? No. So Mummers Plays, and I don't... No, if it's maybe maybe it's more of a West Country thing, maybe not. I mean, the picture on the wiki for Mama's Play is in St Albans, so apparently not. Uh, it's basically a um, it's a kind of quasi pantomime, I suppose. I went to one in a local pub where it's basically a bunch of actors who all dress up in the sort of very stereotypical roles like St George, Dragon, Father Christmas, all these kind of things, and then there's there's a sort of a I don't know, 30 minute to an hour long performance, I suppose, mm. where it's all like kind of get the audience involved. And I think there's singing that, that happens normally throughout it. But yeah, very strange experience. So is it sort of panto-esque? Yeah. It's... In terms of the audience involvement, but not necessarily the, the, the theatrical style. Yeah, it's it's. I, I think it's very much like sort of the you could view it as a precursor to pantomime, which is very much a, a Victorian kind of vibe. Right. And I have no idea about the history of pantomime, but I would guess... Pre-timime. <laughs> yes, precisely. So, so yes, but that's interesting that it took part in the Mummers play. But I, I didn't know that it was linked to um, the Restoration. It was sort of a, a, a symbol co-opted, well, not co-opted, but used at least mm. by um, by the Royalists. That's very interesting. Whereas, of course, the modern version takes sort of is synonymous with Santa Claus, which arrived in England in the eighteen fifties, mm. and that I believe is where Sinterklaas comes into it. Mm. Which is just, a, I mean, Sinterklaas phenomenal in and of itself or rather in and of themselves. My favourite part of when I lived in the Netherlands and we were sort of discovering the whole Sinterklaas, Zwarte Piet thing, mm. was uh, not only realising that we sort of inadvertently get two Christmases, because <laughs> that's an evening of gift-giving that comes from Zwarte Piet, mm. and then also um, like Christmas Eve proper, but also all of the Dutch national television broadcasting his arrival and his travel oh. through the country because where yeah. how does he arrive in the Netherlands Simon Oh doesn't he he comes from Spain He does and and how does he arrive what does he travel on from Spain quite a specific thing Uh does does he ride a horse Uh he rides a horse through the Netherlands but you'll struggle to to he he ta- he, he comes comes via the sea Flu network flu. No it's a steamboat that's so specific. Yeah. <laughs> All aboard the SS Sinterklaas. Amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. The festivities traditional begin each year in mid-November, the first Saturday after the 11th of November, when Sinterklaas arrives by a steamboat at a designated seaside town, supposedly from Spain. In the Netherlands, this takes place in a different port each year, whereas in Belgium, it always takes place in the city of Antwerp. The steamboat anchors, then Sinterklaas disembarks and parades through the streets on his horse, welcomed by children cheering and singing traditional Sinterklaas songs, um, which I remember having to sing when he would come and visit the school. Having to sing. You bloody loved it. And you get his, yeah, his Vartapit assistants throw candy and small round gingerbread-like cookies, paper noten, which are delicious, into the crowd. The event is broadcast live on national television in the Netherlands and Belgium. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It really is bonkers. Like, just, just sort of thinking about the steamboat point again. Isn't that, The only reason that that stands out to us is because most of the traditions, sort of, you know, long-standing folklore traditions that we have predate 
the industrial revolution in one form or another and so it's only out of it's only unusual for us to hear steamship or steamboat and think wait what wait a minute what whereas presumably you know in 200 years time or whatever you're going to have some folklore about somebody who arrives by a 747 or i don't know some some inter, you know deep internet internet folklore from the early days of like i don't know mm. it's said that this holiday began when two people met on bebo or whatever i don't know <laughs> I, I kind of wanted to fast forward 200 years into the future just to see what the folklore is going to be like and, you know, what part of modern day is considered, ooh, isn't that lovely and old-fashioned? <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, the only other person I feel like that we should also probably mention as far as sort of regal figures at this time of year is obviously good King Wenceslas. Oh, gosh, yeah. Because everyone sort of forgets about him. I mean, granted, he was sort of a bohemian king, right, which is... Czech Republic or what was the Czech Bohemia Re- no isn't isn't it isn't it German oh, this is where I'm gonna look very stupid the westernmost and largest historical region of the Czech Republic I defer to you sir very well very good well the only reason I know is because we used to have to do quite a bit of research about good King Wenceslas and indeed the feast of Stephen which we hear in the carol simply because mm. when I was a choral scholar at Exeter Cathedral our final service was we used to have to sing the Eucharist on the morning of the 26th of December, the Feast of Stephen, because it was given for the sort of vergers and sides people and and things of Exeter Cathedral. Mm. And it was the most hated Eucharist service of the year because everyone was horrifically (laughs) hungover and nobody wanted to do the singing at all. And it was just, it was absolutely, it was so bleak. And everyone sort of like staggering into the vest, you know, vestry to to, to rehearse. We likely wouldn't even rehearse. We'd get there about, you know, 10 to 10 for a 10 o'clock service and like scream through bird five and that's it. <laughs> Exeter Cathedral Choir is a highly professional choir in the southwest of England. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, gosh, the Feast of Stephen is a forever tainted in my mind of having to get up after, you know, feeling really, really awfully hungover. Or, as was, as was learned after my first year, you just don't stop drinking through the night so that you can get up and still feel merry in the morning and then crash hard in the evening of the 26th. The merriness is the important thing. Like, let's, mm. let's, not, <laughs> let's not make any mistakes here. Uh, whilst you were talking, I was just looking at the wiki for Sinterklaas. Little interesting note here. During the German occupation of the Netherlands, many of the traditional Sinterklaas rhymes were written to, uh, rewritten to reflect current events. The RAF was often celebrated. In 1941, for instance, the RAF dropped boxes of candy over the occupied Netherlands. And there's a rewrite of a poem here, which the original version is Sinterklaas, little capon, throw something in my little shoe, throw something in my little boot. Thank you, dear Sinterklaas. There's a World War II version, which is RAF, little capon, throw something in my little shoe, throw bombs at the krauts, but scatter candy in Holland. Wow. That I don't, again, in, just sort of interesting when you hear kind of folklore to be rewritten to, rewritten to be much more modern. That's that's really yeah. interesting. I had no idea that the RAF dropped boxes of like sweets and things over. Wow. God, can you imagine if you f***ed up the payload on that? You're yeah, just like, right. yeah, wait, God. That, was the, that was meant to be the candy route? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> no one talk about this. No, no we, we saw nothing. Yeah. Gosh. Oh dear. It gives a whole other meaning to the to Operation Mincemeat. They're not dropping with spice. <laughs> oh, that's one of your best. Yeah. That's, uh, that's dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Fantastic. We can stop the episode now. Everyone's got yeah, their mandated it. one laugh out of it. God. We always, I mean, people thought that Tiny Tim with his little set of crutches was bleak. I mean, just seeing like bits of disembodied child while people <laughs> sing carols is pretty, it's pretty dark, isn't it? Jesus Christ! Oh, he's born. Um. Oh, oh, good God! I can't breathe. You're doing this to me, Dan. When I can barely breathe, anyway. I, I apologise. I'm very sorry. Oh, good grief. Well, uh, so I'm, I'm just looking at my waveform. I'm so sorry, Fergus. My waveform's absolutely mess for the past few minutes. Shall we try and sort of restore a degree of decorum and perhaps move on to Choral Piece of the Week and Critics' Corner? Yes, we've got some rich pickings, I imagine, for the next two sections. Over to you, Dan. What's your Choral Piece of the Week? And this will be my Piece of the Week. Drum roll, please. So... My choral piece of the week is a is a very, very late discovery. I was roped in to sing at the university carol services down here in Exeter because Michael mm. needed a few more tenors. And they were singing a piece that was completely new to me, but I think is 
super, absolutely super. Mm-hmm. It's composed by Cecilia McDowell, who is a seriously prolific contemporary female composer. And the piece is called Of a Rose. Oh, yeah, I've never heard of that. It's great. It's really, really good. It's, how to describe it? It's it's sort of old English text. It's quite fast. It's quite sort of cheeky at points. Hmm. It's just really fun and sort of in the in the sort of category of that wish art alleluia. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Alleluia. That's the one, yeah. It's sort of yeah. in that, it's, it's that sort of ilk. Ah, but it's absolutely brilliant. So yeah, Cecilia McDowell of a Rose is my choral, my Christmas choral piece of the week. It's really excellent, and I highly recommend you have a listen to it. There is an album that you can listen to it on. I think it's the sixteen album Carol of the Bells, right? Which is a really brilliant choral Christmas album. But uh, you, you'll be able to find other recordings, I'm sure. But that one is particularly fine. Of a Rose. I shall put a link in the um, the show notes to that. I, I'm, I'm curious to listen to that one. That's entirely new to me. I think you'll like it a lot. Whilst we're still in this section, and this will be relevant, I guested on a podcast recently, which if you like this section of the podcast, you will enjoy. Uh, it's called Cacophony. By a guy called Steve Thomas, who I bumped into at New Scientist Live in London. What it is, is it's uh, every episode is sort of, you know, 10 to 15 minutes perhaps of uh, the host uh, Steve talking to a guest about a favorite piece of music of theirs so just looking through the recent episodes we've got the Clara Schumann piano um, trio the Mozart divertimento or uh, Webern like it's it, it's it's very wide ranging um, but I came on as a guest to talk about the path of miracles by Joby Talbot. Oh, cool. Because I, f- I literally take any opportunity to talk about The Path of Miracles. It is mm. an absolutely astonishing piece of music. And to actually be given the time to be like, here, talk about what's your favourite piece in this, your favourite part in this movement? And just to be like, right, let me give you the setup. Mm. And yeah, really, really enjoy it. So if you like Dan's Choral Piece of the Week as a section, highly, highly recommend Cacophony. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes as well. All right, all right, all right. And with that, we're in Critics Corner, Dan. And it has been a while since we, we've done one of these episodes, so I have no doubt that we have lots to talk about. Uh, what have you been enjoying recently? Well, I suppose the most pressing thing is that I went to the cinema yesterday. You're joking. A, a building where they still show films? Yes, I went to a moving picture house uh, to, <laughs> to go and take in one of the new pictures from... <laughs> there was a newsreel about everything that's happening out in, out in Nam. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, and I went to a 3D screening oh. of Avatar Dos. Now, what did you think? Well, I was trying to... I was talking to my partner about this. Like, trying is the operative word. I was trying to talk to, <laughs> talk to my partner about this last night. Um... I sounded like a murloc. She couldn't make head yeah, tails of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Why did you look at the film now? <laughs> um, uh, a festive murloc, though. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I think that when when discussing something like Avatar, i.e. like the first one or the second one, mm. uh, from a point of film criticism, it's almost a different kettle of fish entirely as far as film criticism goes. Because I think people go into seeing it knowing full well that it's not going to be this incredible incredible sort of genre-defining, groundbreaking, genius piece of narrative film, right? Well, so I, I feel like you could say that about a lot of James Cameron films, to be fair, in that they're not necessarily pushing the envelope, but they're very, very good examples of, of you know, what they're trying to do, if that makes yes. sense. Yes, yeah, and I, and I think what people are really wanting out of his films, and, and I think you're right to sort of broaden it to his whole sort of filmography is that you're going for an experience and you're going for a, a spectacle. Yeah. yeah, spectacle, I think, is the key word. Yeah, and as far as an experience and spectacle goes, I mean, it looks incredible. It really does just make you go, my my goodness, mm. the things they can do now are amazing. Bearing <laughs> in mind, like... With, the things they can do with computers now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally. It, it's, I mean, Avatar... Avatar came out when? In like 2009? 2008? Ooh. I remember seeing my first girlfriend. So it was about about then, yeah. Yeah, and and so we've we've waited over a decade for the next film. And as far as the first film, having seen it, and people coming out and going, wow, golly, doesn't Mm. it look good? 
and then going and seeing the second one, I mean, the visuals do not disappoint and they are even better than the first. Yeah. It, it really is extraordinary. How much did the 3D add to the visuals? Well, see, this is it. I personally don't get on board with 3D films at all. Mm. I really don't see the point. And I thought, well, you know what, for something like Avatar, and indeed Avatar The Way of Water, uh, the sequel, those films are sort of made for 3D. Yeah. Especially if you've got somebody like James Cameron at the helm. That being said, as much as there were moments where the 3D did really make me feel like I was looking into a box rather than a screen, uh, uh, you know, and it's, it's, awfully, it's awfully clever, throughout the very long runtime of the film, which is three hours and 12 minutes. What? I had no idea it was that which long. Which is insanely long. And it That's does not absurd. need to be, it does not need to be that long at all. I kept thinking, gosh, I'd really like to see this in 2D because I hate how the image is darkened in 3D. Not to yeah. the point where you're really squinting, but all you need to do is have is quickly sort of take your 3D glasses off and look at the picture and go, wow, that looks so much more lush and brilliant and you know and vibrant. Yeah. And that's what I think Avatar needs. Yeah, that's the point, arguably. Yes, I could go yes. I could agree with that. So on the whole, I would probably give it like, I don't know, this is the thing. So when I'm, criti- when I'm, when I'm criticising it, I'm conscious of not wanting to try and sort of hold it to like other film standards because I think that's sort of missing the point of why you go to the film. Mm. You're, not, you're not going to... So, so like as far as an Avatar film goes, as far as an, a, a visual spectacle and experience in the cinema mm. in 3D... Whether you like it or not, I'm sure it's probably say the same as 2D because you're still watching the same sort of picture. I'd probably give it like, I don't know, 3.8. 3. point very specific. Okay. Something in that region. It was perfectly, you know, I had a very jolly time watching it. One thing I would say is that I think the themes that they touch on in this film, which are akin to the first, I think are more developed, more serious and infinitely more complex. And that carries through to character arcs and the new characters you meet. Okay. In this film, I think it's I think it's it's a it's emotionally quite a bit more hard hitting than the second. I know James Cameron has said in interviews that this was basically, you know, he wanted to use this as the biggest platform possible for conservation issues. He basically realised that his in order to have the maximum impact on trying to, you know, it's a very um, cliche thing to say, but you know, try to save the planet. His way of doing that is to make a film that will be seen by a billion people. Mm. Um, and so I'm guessing that the environmental theme was sort of front and centre again. Yeah. Yeah. But but the, the characters were definitely the weakest part of the... Well, I suppose the characters and the fact that the MacGuffin was literally called Unobtainium was the uh, weakest part of the first film. Yeah. Because I have to admit, like, I, like, thinking back, it's one of these films that I don't... I can't honestly say I've thought about very much since I watched it, despite the fact that it's, you know, one of the biggest films ever made and all that kind of thing. Like... I remember at the time thinking that the way they treated the villains was a little surprising for a film of that size in that it was actually a little bit nuanced and anti-American in a way that you don't typically see in, you know, big blockbusters like that. So I'm, I'm, who, were the, who were the villains? Because are, are they humans again in this one? Yes. But interestingly... There's something's different. I'm conscious not to spoil it. Yeah, okay, don't don't spoil it. Uh, for me or all the listeners at home. Um, yeah. Sorry, readers at home. But to all intents and purposes, yeah, it's humans being Being humans. <laughs> yeah. Okay, interesting. But it's good. Like, it was good. I enjoyed it. And I think I will enjoy it even more seeing it in 2D. That's, so one thing I would say, if I was going to give any advice, if you're thinking of seeing it, personally, if you, like me, are quite seriously on the fence about going seeing a feature film in in three dimensions just stick just stick to stick to the two you'll have a better time okay and 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 i think also yes it's a long film but if any kind of film can justify that length it's avatar because people are going for the visual experience right and they've waited over 10 years to see this thing so they probably a lot of people want to go in and be in there for as long as they can and soak up as much as they can yeah and i think james cameron is acutely aware of that so I don't think it. I don't think it justifies the length, but it perhaps explains it. He doesn't. At no point does he hurry you along to the exits. He's like mm. people have waited in line for a long time for this ticket. <laughs> yes. 
Ah, well, interesting. I, I will check it out. I have to admit, I, I have been, it's sort of been on my radar in a way that honestly films just haven't this year. Sure. Like, I'm not sure if it's, we're in that post-COVID slump in terms of there was nothing really being made for a while still. But yeah, nothing has really interested me in terms of films recently. I know next year we've got, um, we've got Barbie to look forward to, which our friend Hugo, shout out Hugo, is going to be, what was the, I can't remember the exact phrase that he said the other day, but I think it was going to be certified Kino. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah, something like that. Uh, and I saw the trailer for that actually in the. There was a brief trailer for it in the cinema. Oh yeah. And there was a moment of sort of, oh, what's his name? Who's who is it playing Ken? I can't remember his name. Oh, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, Ryan Gosling, sort of in a big sparkly jacket doing a little spin. And I was like, oh yeah, we've got to go and see this. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. <laughs> it's finally good to get some Dan representation on screen. It was. Uh, it look. It looks. It looks very. Um, it looks very funny. But it's the same coming out the same day as Oppenheimer, which I'm personally looking forward to because that's the Chris Nolan film uh, about well, Oppenheimer, who was uh, the head of the Manhattan Project, and mm. I. Be- I think it's all been shot in black and white. I might be wrong, but I think that's the the stylistic choice that he's made on this one. Cool. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I have. So I haven't really seen a film for quite a while. Um, I've been watching a lot of YouTube, and I would like to before I because we'll talk a bit about the Jingle Jam. Um, but just to, before I do that, to shout out a, a, a creator that hopefully people are already aware of, but just in case you're not, John Boyce. Does that name ring any bells for you, Dan? Yeah, it does, but I can't think why. So he works at, oh gosh, is it Secret Base? Oh, they're kind of the same in my head. Basically, he's a sports journalist, but he makes these videos, well, a variety of types of videos, including the series Chart Party, which is basically, if people have seen my recent video on the history of global warming, it's definitely mm. a style influence, a style influence from, from John Boyce, mm. because it's sort of like a big 3D, you pan the camera around, you fade stuff in and all that kind of stuff. But his use of music, his construction of the story in three-dimensional space, even though I don't follow any sport, really, with with any level of precision, and I certainly don't follow American sports, I have been hooked on his videos. The, the storytelling is just that good. So, you know, because it'll be like, trying to think of an example he did a a two-part really long video on the bob emergency which was how the number of professional sports people who go by bob has been declining over the years and charting every single athlete called bob and all their interesting stories and like you know what sports do they play what were their accomplishments what were the records they made and it's just brilliant it's it's Mm. it's honestly one of the best things i've seen on youtube um i really really do mean that so yes go and check out john boyce the thing that i was spending as i already said a lot of my time doing has been preparing for the the jingle jam which has finished as of the time of recording and by pounds raised i think is the most successful jingle jam they've had in the modern era i want to say brilliant I have caught some streams live and then certainly highlights. Yeah, there's just too much to watch. They're on at a time, in usually in evenings, where if I'm doing any singing or depping or work, then it, it's that time, which is slightly annoying. But yeah, I'm looking forward to watching the full highlights and things. I mean, there's so much to look forward to. There's the, I mean, every year there's Jingle Cats, which I watched live this year, which was great. Yes, really, that was really one really that I did watch live, in fairness. Um, um, it was a very good year for Jingle, a fine vintage, I thought. mm and I, I'm looking forward to watching poker highlights. Yes. Uh, I saw the highlights of the university challenge thing, which was phenomenal, by the way. I hope you're really pleased because it really was excellent. Thank you. Especially dealing with the sort of technical issues, you know. Well, that's the thing. I was blissfully unaware of the technical issues. All I, The only time I knew something was going wrong at the start. So people don't know, basically. In the room, there was a very complicated setup they had with like three or four cameras and then mics for the two teams and mics for me that were being mixed live. And even though it may not be obvious, they, BBC doesn't do University Challenge Live. Mm. And it's for a very good reason, because it's a very complicated setup that keeps breaking. Mm. So when we did it live, the the issue at the... It was actually astonishingly well-timed. The, the, the first issue was that there was an echo on my audio, which meant that when I said, good, let's get on with it, here's your first starter for 10... That looped about a hundred times whilst we were over the course of the first episode. Mm. And it was like a perfect little sample that they managed to get somehow. So uh, the only time I was aware that that was happening was when we went to the... I was like, oh, we're going to take our first picture around now. And then I heard a voice in my ear because I had an earpiece in. And they're going, don't. 
we, we can't do that yet. Just just move on, Simon, please. And I was like, okay, no, apparently we've got a technical issue. We're just going to carry on yeah. and um, just, just try to brush past it. But yeah, the, the, the shout out to Pierre and the tech team at the Oxcast. They're absolute wizards. They are so, so good at what they do. And Pierre in particular was like a force of nature doing live mixing of audio and cutting between all these things and between the rounds, like resetting and problem solving. It was really inspirational to, to watch them work. So I was the on-camera person, but the people behind the scenes were absolute heroes. So shout out to them. But yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a lot of work. I wrote a, close to 600 questions, I think, mm. for for the tournament overall, uh, which went, there were a couple of errors that crept in. Uh, sorry. But the, the University Challenge also doesn't have one guy writing all the questions by themselves. Yes, yeah. But um, I, think, I think it came off in the end. And even though the teams were a bit unbalanced, I had nothing to do with the team selection. I think people, everyone in the room seemed to have fun and the people at, um, at home watching seemed to enjoy it. And we raised, I actually don't know how much on the... Um, the stream itself, but we, we certainly raised a lot. I mean, the total this year is just shy of three and a half million pounds, which is absolutely balmy. Mm. And, you know, long, you know, I know this is, Lewis has said to me before that this is sort of the Dingle Jam is the reason that he keeps doing YouTube. Like, he will keep making videos on YouTube and running the Twitch channel, all that kind of stuff, so they can do Jingle Jam every year and keep having this enormous positive impact. So long may it continue, I say. Absolutely. But the other thing to mention is that just the other day, just this week, fan favourite of the Wikicast and and various things that I make, myself and Ed Dunn, Edward Bear Games, went to a gig, Dan. Oh, wow. We actually went to a contemporary musical act and we realised it was the first time for both of us that we'd actually been to a gig that wasn't, you know, a, a choir or, or an orchestra or something because we went to see The Longest Johns. Oh, how was that? It was really fun. Really, really excellent night. Admittedly, we both had a few drinks, which I think added... I feel like, for, for those of you that don't know, The Longest Johns are a sea shanty group, right? Mm. And I feel like that's how you're supposed to consume sea shanties. You're supposed to have a bit of lubrication in you, right? Like that, that yes. just adds to the experience. Absolutely. And fittingly enough, the gig was actually on a boat called Thecla in Bristol, which is a club that uh, was normally a nightclub that I never thought I would go to because it was like the cool kids club when I was a kid. And I was just like, well, obviously that's not me. I, I'm never going to go there. But um, yeah, really, really enjoyable gig. Um, went there with some of the yogs. The actual the Longest Johns invited us to, to go and had us on the guest list, which meant I had such a... Uh, uh, like a high and low within a course of about five seconds because with Ed in tow I walked up to the the guy on the front desk and I was like hi um, I'm on the guest list apparently I'm Simon and he looked at the list and went no you're not <laughs> I was like yeah. oh for once in my life I thought I was going to be really cool uh, it turned out they had the wrong guest list because ah. I just had to show them like the DMs from with the band and they're like yeah alright fine Yeah. Um, but I was just like oh come on <laughs> give me this that's a shame but yes um, the, the, just to, to round out that story I had a great time at the gig if people don't listen to The Longest Johns you absolutely should they were my they were my most listened to artist on Spotify last year can you remember what yours was off the top of your head well no because I don't use Spotify oh, of course yeah you have Apple Music I'm an Apple Music Music man, yeah. So yeah, they, they were my top artist, and th that's obviously amazing to be able to sing along live to all the songs that you know very well. Yeah. Um, but just to, just as a, as a coda to that story, um, Ed and I had such a good time, and the singing was so good that we don't remember bits of the journey back home. Um, but what we do remember is that because there's video evidence of it, we spent. I'm not actually sure how long, but quite some time on one of the roads back from the train station to my house. It's it's currently snowing, and there were loads of cars covered with snow whilst we went out. Uh, we just we just went up the road and wrote "You Are Loved" on the roof of every single car on that road. Well, that's nice. It's nice, but in retrospect, I have no clue why we felt the need to do it. <laughs> Like, it was freezing. We, we yes. wanted to go back home. We were like, yeah, no, this is more important. Yeah. It's, it's more important that people know this. Well, I'm sure so. people would have appreciated it, provided that it didn't snow so heavily that by the time they get up, they won't be able to see it. Yeah, or, I, I realise this in retrospect, have we actually just, because I was, you know, using my thumb to, to etch the messaging, have I just scratched the roof of all these people's cars? Yeah, and, what you, and, your, and your spelling had really gone to pot as well, so it's actually just like, you are bum or something. <laughs> on every single car. <laughs> Still, all these confused people, and you can you can probably track the spelling getting worse as you go yeah. along the road. You are bum, <laughs> smiley face, kiss, kiss. It's just my phone number. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing! Top lad. Brummy Mike. Brummy Mike. Good writings. Good writings. I've realised that's the key to the um 
because it's Peaky Blinders are Brummy, aren't they? Yes. So now whenever I see one of their memes, I struggle to do a Brummy accent. But now when I see, you know, the, the no fighting meme, I'm just like, oh, greetings. Oh, oh. Where the f*** have you been? No fighting. Love it. And we find ourselves again in that most festive of podcast corners, Patreon. Patreon Corner is an opportunity for us to say an enormous thank you to those who support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash the Wikicast. And without your guys' incredible support, uh, this podcast couldn't exist. We wouldn't be able to pay our marvellous, wonderful editor, Fergus. We wouldn't be able to pay for hosting. So, we, you know, Simon and I would just be sat here recording podcasts and, and effectively sort of getting to the end of an episode and then simply deleting the episode, <laughs> which, which alarmingly has, has happened before. Not intentionally, but, but as far as technical yeah, difficulties, yeah. You, you may, long-time readers of the podcast may remember my old laptop that would insist on trying to take off as soon as I turned it on, which wasn't ideal. <laughs> it was like that scene in um, uh, Mary Poppins where you have the sort of the, the dinner party on the ceiling. It was just Dan trying to k- k- grab hold with both hands of his laptop with the cable yes. trailing as he was exactly. lifted towards the ceiling. That or, or sort of think fizzy lifting drinks from, you know... Oh, yes. From the, uh, <laughs> Dan, you got a burp! <laughs> <laughs> you got a burp down. You're coming up into the fan. Oh god, what a what a what a, what a petrifying film. <laughs> That's a horrifying history. scene. It's a really that horrifying scene. It's actually horrifying. Uh, but yes, basically, Patreon good. We love you all. Thank you very much. And to say thank you, we would like to thank some special people. I would like to thank the people who have correctly joined the, the top cat tier, saying that the cats are the best animal. I would actually introduce Susie, my cat, to the podcast at this point, but she did jump off my lap almost as soon as Dan started talking. Strange coincidence. Wow. But um, she could sense that you were a filthy dog, a, you know, top dog. Whereas I would like to thank some wonderful people, including... Anna Reifer, Jean-Claude Marais, Nathan Flaherty, Abu El Ella, the physics boy, Simon P, Jack Easton, Izzy CC, Nafi Iftikhar, Christopher Betterton, Dame Valerie the Third, Layla Marina, Will Janice Humphreys, Renz Kirk, Oliver Burkhart, Omar Miranda, Colm Mansfield, Isabel Ostrowski, and the one and the only Dan Hanvey. And I would like to say an enormous thank you to those who support at top dog tier, the truly supreme pet of choice. A thank you to Jay Wright, Ben McMurtry, Peter Reed, Codzo, Colin J. Brown, Alistair Fortune, Lexi at Front Desk, Hasse Hansen, Henry VII, King of England and of France, Lord of Ireland, Aaron Jorgensen, Naflarok, Andrian with an Anne Chan, Ben Caples, Martin Narciso, Christian from the Alps, Amy Bonney, Lexi at Front Desk's boss, Carl Waldrott, and Brummy Mike. Good Thanks so much. Actually, which Henry, King of England, Lord of Ireland, is it? Is there a number in the king? Seventh. Seventh. Okay. Because at that point... So uh, the only reason I ask is because I just read an excellent book called The Hollow Crown, which was about the Wars of the Roses. And I think Henry the Seventh... I suddenly... I su- just, just so you know, I suddenly had that, like, that feeling of stepping out into traffic when you read out the title of the book because it made me think of the Hollow Pod fan oh. fiction <laughs> that we had to change the title of the name. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Just read an excellent yeah. book called The Hollow. No crown. Oh, it's no, 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 no. <laughs> it's just because I, I think Henry the Seventh. I can't remember how much of France England still controlled at that point. But like a key point of the book is that Henry the Sixth had like the whole thing was I am King of England and of France. Look, I have a tapestry to prove it. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if it was him. But turns out Henry the Sixth, terrible king. Basically, the reason that we had all the political instability in the 15th century. Fascinating book. Everyone should read it. Just, just saying. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's move on. Top lad, and we've moved on to Corin's Pondence Corner. I genuinely had to think then, Dan. I think my brain. I feel like Hal at the end of 2001. Nice. At the moment, this illness is pulling out the little. It might, the, the, there's a little gremlin in my brain that's got a tiny screwdriver, and it's pulling out my memory cores and my faculties. <laughs> Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer. Do <laughs> I can feel it, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> Again, a scene that I thought was genuinely beautiful when I was a kid, and I look back now, and it is one of the most horrifying deaths in all of cinema. Mm. Um, if people haven't seen 2001, I feel like it's a very, it's a bit of a Marmite film. Um, I would, for example, never show it to Pixel Wife because I simply don't think she would have the patience or get it. And that's fine. Like, it's not for everyone. But I feel like if you are, if you're on the fence about maybe seeing it, do, because it's a masterpiece yeah it really is and that scene is legitimately awful Re- there's there's two death scenes in there there's the people in the pods and then there's there's hal and oh 
Ugh, chilling. Anyway, yeah. um, yes, uh, we're in Correspondence Corner and we've got some emails to read out. I would like to read out an email here from Bengig with New Dynamic Unit of Measurement. It reads as follows. Good morning, fellows. In response to my reading of your latest instalment, I heard your call for suggestions of a new dynamic unit of time now that Queen Elizabeth II has become static, RSVP, and King Prince Charles is too logical a step. Uh, RSVP. <laughs> People thought that I did that by mistake during the Ox quiz. I was like, there's no that's, way. <laughs> that's that's funny. I like that. That's good. That's that's uh, greatest generationism. I, I don't, I've just thoroughly adopted it into my vocabulary now. <laughs> RSVP. So, so sorry for your last, last RSVP. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to slip that's, out. Genuinely, yeah. it's going to slip out at some point when it's... Oh, God. That it's, like, um, it's like the Sipsian rip in peace. Yeah. Exactly. Which is great. Which is really great. <laughs> but uh, so yes, RSVP Queen, Eliz uh, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, ben is such a. May I humbly suggest. <laughs> Sorry, it's really got me that one. It's really got me. You're going to start using it now. I can't wait yeah, to catch you. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I absolutely will. Uh, uh, ben suggests. May I humbly suggest that we go to the opposite end of the family and measure our time in Prince Louis. Oh yeah, um, Prince Louis. Uh, how how old is the Prince Louis? The Prince Louis, I mean. Is that the youngest? He's four. Right. He is the third and youngest child of William and Kate. Okay. So um, Ben signs off by saying, Yours wirelessly. Ben, age 25 and 22 over 24. Excellent fraction. Mm. Or 5.655 Prince Louis. Nice. I really like that unit of measurement, Dan. I think it is exactly the kind of anti-logic that this podcast specialises in and needs. Absolutely. And the fact that he's only four means that it's going to be quite easy. It's going to be a more satisfying calculation. Yeah, and, and it's going to change much more quickly. Like the, It's a very mutable unit at this point. Indeed. So, uh, uh, thumbs up. I think, can we put both of our keys into the nuclear launch codes and confirm that that is our new dynamic unit of time? Sure. I'm sure we can do that. I can confirm the code is authentic. We are now measuring time in Prince Louis. I'm just lifting up the little uh, little sort of Pyrex cube <laughs> that sits above the button. Yeah. <laughs> That's a podcast that I listened to recently that reminded me how good the film was. Crimson Tide. Mm. People haven't watched Crimson Tide. That's such a... It's a Tony Scott film. It's the same guy that directed Top Gun. It's so over the top and it's so... It's got Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington acting the shit out of each other. Ugh. Great film. Really, really great film. Love it. Love it. We have an email here from Bartosz. I apologise if I've butchered that. Quite possibly. And they write, Dear Messrs. Clark and Moore, I've just opened my Spotify Unwrapped and I've spent 55 hours listening to your podcast in 2022. What? I don't regret this, but it does make me think I need better hobbies. Assuming each episode <laughs> is an hour long, I am... 187,830.53 Wikicast episodes old. Mm. Regards, Bartosz, P.S., O and Go Dogs. Wrong. Just incorrect. I mean, the fact that you've listened to this podcast for 55 hours this year indicates that, of course, you have terrible taste. Yes, well... Yeah, I had a few people tag me on Instagram with their unwrapped. And um, that is nuts to me that there are people for whom, you know, we are a significant part of their listening experience. And I'm so sorry. Mm. I'm sorry that we're not better at this. Yeah, I too received quite a few things on Instagram of people tagging us. And I just thought, gosh, well, my first thought was, wow, you know, we're so lucky to have an amazing readership like like you all mm. uh, and then my second thought was oh my gosh what have we inflicted on humanity <laughs> everyone's gonna be saying rsvp now then my third like, thought <laughs> my third thought was like oh, i'm gonna make a cup of tea <laughs> then my fourth thought was <laughs> <laughs> the first thought was my perfect sunday would be <laughs> no my perfect sunday oh god maybe that's a comfort film i could watch whilst i'm feeling rotten actually well yeah you absolutely should if you want is it if you want to go and be a big cop in a small town go and <laughs> off down the model village that's it yeah that's the one love it full hot fuzz is the west country's national film it's so full of it's just every line almost is a meme it's it's just so good you'll have to catch me i'm a slasher 
of prices. <laughs> this episode has been bad for my health. Yes, on that bombshell, I think we'll have to retire because oh. Simon Ooh, is before... going to explode. My one last, my one last act before I pass out into a, a haze of mensip. Le- le- oh my god, lemsip. <laughs> what did you? What did you say? I said mensip. What the? What the... <laughs> It's either really smart lemsip, or it's like the only for men variety. Mensip. I'm a member of Mensip. You're having a stroke, Simon. This cold is 200 IQ. Oh my god! I was gonna say. Oh, oh god. Uh, I was oh, gonna yeah. say before we go. Uh, if people aren't aware, I play D and D every week on Twitch. On and it's on the. I'll leave a link in the show notes on the Twitch channel RP Geeks D and D. As of the time of recording, we're actually about to go into our final episode of our um, over a year long campaign, which is very very exciting. But Ooh. the reason I want to bring it up is because on I think it's the twenty. 20- First, it's not very far away now, of December, um, we are broadcasting our Christmas special, which I was the DM for. And I had a whale of a time. It was it was really, really fun running it, and the players really enjoyed it. We had a few firsts of all of the, the times that we played D&D. We had a couple of firsts in that session. If people like the idea of a silly, fun light Christmas one shot run by me please do do, do oh my god please do go check out <laughs> RP Geeks D&D stop you're not helping <laughs> it was the fact that you preceded all of that with please <laughs> please please put me out bidda, 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 bidda. <laughs> um, so go and check it out um, and um, if this episode comes out after it's gone live then I'll put a link to the, the YouTube video of it but um, yeah just a bit of advertising there it should be really really fun we had a great time making it so do go check that out amazing so Simon what have we learnt today today Dan we we actually learned a surprising amount about yeah, we Father did. Christmas in all seriousness we did actually learn quite a bit one of the more educational episodes of the Wikicast which isn't saying much but no. it's saying something. Yes. Um, we, we talked about what we've been up to uh, for the past kind of month or two. I talked about my first gig. You've been talking about all of your singing. Mm, for a change. <laughs> yeah, it's a first for the podcast. I revealed I was a member of uh, Lempsa, men, men, Mensip. What the men, f- Men's Lip. Mensip. Yeah. <laughs> Simon's a member of Men's Lip. We had a really marvellous choral piece of the week by Cecilia McDowell of A Rose, which is very good. I gave a fairly long-winded sort of blustering thought for the day on Avatar 2. Yeah, and then we and we also mentioned how at what point do you start getting sick of Christmas carols and the answer is a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the point. I suppose we haven't actually said it yet this episode, but Merry Chrysler everyone. Yeah, happy happy Crimbus uh, and ha- happy non religious denominational holiday to those who are just have a very have a good holiday have an amazing time yeah you don't have to be you don't have to be religious at all to enjoy this this holiday just 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 go with the crowd and enjoy having some festivities absolutely yeah hope you enjoy merry merry christmas happy Christmas. and that's all for this christmasy episode don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice join the discord and if you'd like to see our faces check out our youtube channel spongy and electric reviews of avatar 2 reports of what you got up to over christmas and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole and And we'll we'll see you you next time. time RSVP me. RSVP. Hey, uh, hey, Simon. Um, <laughs> see you. Uh, see you next year. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh God. Oh, just getting sick of that already. <laughs> yep. Love that.